Well, good morning. Would you open your Bibles with me? This might sound surprising, but to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 32 this morning. Ephesians 5, 25 through 32. And would you stand with me as we read together from God's Word? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. When I was in high school, I wanted to learn to play guitar, and I had a really good friend who was an excellent guitarist, and he agreed to take me around to different guitar shops and let me try out some different guitars and help me find just the right one for me. Of course, he owned guitars that were worth thousands of dollars, and they were just absolutely beautiful, and they had a rich and crisp tone, and I loved Looking at his guitars, there were a few times he let me play his guitars. The guitar we found for me was nothing like that. It was very inexpensive. It was very simple, but I loved it, and I was able to practice on it. And I was so thankful that my friend had helped me get this guitar, and he helped me in the days ahead get used to it and learn more chords and choruses and all of that. But what was really astounding to me was sometime later. He came over my house and he said, I've got a proposal for you. What would you say about trading your guitar for my guitar? I'm not sure I understand what you're saying here. The guitars I've seen that you have are amazing. There's no way that you would ever want... No, 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 I want, I want your guitar for this guitar. My guitar was worth about $200. He was showing me a $1,500 guild, and it was spotless. It was beautiful. I was overwhelmed. I was completely blown away. And I saw right through him. I knew that there's no way that he could, he could want this $200 guitar in place of, of his own. I mean, he said that he needed it for, like, taking out camping, being a little reckless with. I'll take it to youth uh, beach nights, you know. I need, I need something that I won't feel bad about messing up. But I knew that that really wasn't the reason. I knew it was all about putting an instrument in my hands that I, that I was, was not even close to being able to afford. I knew it was because he cared about me. And our friendship grew that day. You know, it's easy to love someone who has given you a great deal. Or maybe has even made personal sacrifices for you. 
That's why it's so easy to love Jesus. We're told in Romans 5, 8, he paid the ultimate price for us. God shows his great love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What's not to love there? But when it comes to this thing called the church, I mean, this group of ragtag misfits, this, this group of reforming rebels, that's another story, right? I mean, we noted last week that it's in the church that you will often find yourself getting hurt. It's in the church that sometimes you will find yourself unappreciated, unnoticed, maybe even overworked. It's in the church that you might find hypocrisy, you might find backbiting, you might find selfishness, all sorts of other undesirable things. This church is full of people who need help. Jesus said it himself in Mark 2.17, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's a description of who is in the church. They're a bunch of self-admitted sinners. Why would I want to surround myself with that kind of people? I mean, as I look around and hear all kinds of voices that are speaking solid advice to me, that's not the kind of place that I should align myself with. I mean, Oprah told me, she said, surround yourself with those who only lift you higher. One very popular pastor said, you need to associate with people that inspire you, people that challenge you to rise higher, people that make you better. Don't waste your valuable time with people who are not adding to your growth. Your destiny is too important. Even Karl Marx, I mean, come on. Surround yourself with people who make you happy, people who make you laugh who help you when you're in need, that sounds good. People who genuinely care, that sounds great. They're the ones worth keeping in your life. Everyone else is just passing through. Well, if the church is full of sinful people, then that does not sound like the place for me. (laughs) I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but do I really want to surround myself with people that freely admit that they're a mess? Why should I care about the church? Why should I willfully commit myself to this prepackaged collection of people? I can't choose who's in this church that I'm a part of. Why should I choose to commit myself willfully to them? I'd rather go the customization route. I'll just look around and I'll find people that will help me grow personally. They're going to help me live my best life now. That's what I think is better. Who cares about church? Jesus cares about church. And for the next few moments that we have together, I'd like to take us toward a picture of the love of Christ for his church, for his people, for his body. And then consider the impact of Jesus' love for this church, what it has on how we should look at the church. Christ's love for the church is so great, he calls it his bride. 
It's his bride. Look back at Ephesians 5 with me. This is a passage that we read months ago, and we were talking about the relationship between husbands and wives, and we saw that husbands have this very, very high calling to love like Christ loved, and that was the the focus. Husbands, how should you love your wives? This morning, let's look at it again and just think about Christ and how he loves the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love it? Gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus loves the church. He calls it his bride. And for an even clearer picture of this special relationship that Christ has with his church, we're going to turn back. We're going to turn to the book of of Ezekiel and chapter 16. And there we find a very vivid, a um, disturbing look at the reality of, of people before they have experienced the grace of God. It's a little graphic, but I think this is going to be key in helping us see the love of Christ in a, in a fresh way. Look at Ezekiel chapter 16 with me. We're going to start in verse 4. It's talking about the people of Israel. But it's also a picture for us and what Christ does for us. Verse 4 says this, As for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, as you were cast out. On the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. Naked, fragile, helpless, unwanted, left for dead. That's you and I, apart from the grace of God. Verse 6. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God. And you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. This is the picture. The picture of when God first called his people Israel. And if you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ, then this is also a picture of when God called you and I 
out of darkness and into his marvelous light, into the light of Christ. When Christ calls us, we have no ability whatsoever to help ourselves. We're hopeless. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2. Just like Lazarus in the tomb. We've been in there and we've been rotting. We stunk. You and I were like an unwanted baby that was cast out into the field and left to die. And through the work of Christ and the moving of the Holy Spirit, God said to you and to me, He said, live. He made you grow and flourish, married you, made you his own. It's beautiful. Verse 13. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful, advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I'd bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. This is what the love of God does. It takes ashes and it makes them beautiful. It delivers from poverty to opulence. It takes what is common and appoints it to royalty. But then we have verse 15. But you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines and on them you played the whore. The like has never been nor shall ever be. Verse 32. Adulterous wife who receives strangers instead of her husband Men give gifts to all prostitutes, but you gave your gifts to all your lovers, bribing them to come to you from every side with your whorings. What a picture of Israel's rebellion. But certainly it's also a picture of the gravity of our own willful, sinful acts of rebellion. We need to understand what a terrible, horrible thing it is. To rebel against God. We need to know how, what a, a vile and disgusting thing it is. God showed his great mercy towards us. He picked us up out of the muck and the mire. He breathed on us new life. He cleaned us up. He made us grow into something beautiful. He called us his own. And what do we do? We still turn our backs on him, don't we? I mean, there are times when we... We doubt his goodness toward us. There are times when we use these tongues that he's given us just to worship him and glorify him. And we use these same tongues to curse and to mean, put down the people that he loves. There are times when we intentionally do what will make us feel good rather than obey him. Times when we don't do what he has specifically called us to do because we don't feel like it or we're uncomfortable with it. There may even be times when we look at ourselves and we say, I did it all myself. I'm master of my own destiny and I don't need you, God. And sometimes we turn and we live lives of worship to other gods. 
And we're worshiping things like cars. We're worshiping things like our jobs, maybe physical fitness, entertainment, education, people. John Calvin, the French theologian and pastor, reformer, he told us that our hearts are they're perpetual idol factories, constantly pumping out new things to worship other than God. We take the good gifts that God has given us and we say, God, get over, I just want to look at this and I just want to worship this. Do you see the picture? What a terrible thing it is when we turn away from God. Check out the words of judgment towards Israel in verse 35. Therefore, therefore, O prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because your lust was poured out and your nakedness uncovered in your whorings with your lovers and with all your abominable idols, and because of the blood of your children that you gave to them, Therefore, behold, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, all those you loved and all those you hated. I will gather them against you from every side and will uncover your nakedness to them that they may see all your nakedness. A picture of God's judgment. It's directed towards Israel, and yet this is certainly the judgment that we, you and I, are deserving of when we sin. Did you notice the reference to abortion here in verse 36? Because of the blood of your children that you gave to them, that is, you gave to those idols. This is what happens when we abandon our first love and we go our own way. We do the unthinkable. And you might think at this point, this is the end for Israel. You might think that God would just say, all right, that's fine, I'm done with you, turn and walk away. But unlike a lot of other people today, divorce is not something that God does. He will not give up on his people. God will restore his people. He will bring them back by paying the highest price, the ultimate cost that has ever been paid in the history of this planet and god will restore and he will bring them back that's what we see in verse 59 for thus says the lord god i will deal with you as you have done you have despised you who have despised the oath in breaking the covenant yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you take your sisters, both your elder and your younger, and I give them to you as daughters. But not on account of the covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame when I atone for you for all that you have done, declares the Lord. This is a picture of God restoring His people through His Son, Jesus Christ. And Christ did not simply take her back. He atoned for her. He paid for all her sins with his own body, with his own life. It's no surprise when Paul speaks about marriage in Ephesians 5, he calls husbands to love like 
Christ, Christ's love for the church in laying down his life, it's the fulfillment of Ezekiel 16.60. A love a husband should have for his wife is this unbelievable, astounding love. I mean, who would love this person who has just blatantly betrayed, walked away from all those vows, and has made a mockery of all of them time and time again. This is how God loves, and this is the way we are called to love, the love of Christ. God gave us life. He caused us to flourish. He committed himself to us, and even when we betrayed him, turned away, we cheated on him, he gave us everything. And he paid the ultimate price so that we might be brought back to him forever. Christ loves his church. He didn't love it with a shallow kind of love. He didn't, he didn't just buy it flowers, take it to a movie, followed by a nice dinner. He didn't love it because it flirted with him, put on a fancy dress, put some makeup on. In fact, it wasn't interested in him at all. He didn't love the church because it loved him. He loved us when we were messy, when we were sick, when we were screaming, when we were helpless, when we were dying. He loved the church with the deep, heavy, costly love. He loved us so much that he gave himself up for it. He laid down his very life to save it from running down the tracks and toward a bridge that was out. But you know, the sacrifice that he made for the church, it wasn't last minute. It wasn't thoughtless. It wasn't one of these just momentary acts of passion. And we've all seen it, the brash, the impetuous, the, the passionate, reckless character who sucked the marrow out of life, lived it to the full, not thinking all that much about himself, not caring all that much about others. But then at the moment of desperation, a moment of crisis, a moment where the good of the many clearly outweighed the good of the one. Almost un in, in, without thought, he hurls himself into the face of danger, flying fearlessly towards certain doom, and for the sake of others, pays the ultimate price. That's stirring, that's gripping, makes for a good movie, and maybe it even brings us to tears, but that is not the way that Christ loves the church. His love for the church is, is a little bit more like the Spitfire pilot who's soaring toward the shores of Dunkirk. He's risking his lives for those who are helplessly stranded on the beach. And when the moment of decision comes and he has to make, he has to decide, am I going to save my life and turn back and refuel or am I going to go use the last drip of liquid fuel so that thousands might live? He presses on. He presses on because he made the decision to lose his life long ago. So when the moment of truth finally came, he did what he set out to do. Love is costly, yes, but the love of Christ, it's calculated. It's thorough. It's faithful. It's honorable. It's patient. It's steady. It's a march toward destiny and self-sacrifice with willful purpose and determination in every step. It's a slow suffering, a painful surrender, a moment-by-moment -moment decision to not give up, to not lose heart, 
to fight to the bitter end and be pulled out completely for the object of that love. Yes, Jesus laid down his life, but it wasn't a last-minute decision. It wasn't an act of fleeting passion. No, his love for the church, it goes way back. Before the foundation of the world, we're told, it was planned. It was patiently executed. It was long-suffering, and it continues to this day. And it will continue. Into a point in history called the marriage supper of the Lamb. We read in Revelation, John tells us, Revelation 19.6, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride, who's His bride? The church, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The future of the church is with the one who loved it with an inexpressible love. The love of Christ for his church is going to shine brilliant and and. The splendor is going to be absolutely magnificent on that day. And it's going to continue on into eternity. Christ loves his church. To steal a phrase from Jesus' storybook Bible author Sally Lloyd-Jones, he loves it with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever love. The church is his forever bride. Someone might say, well, that's nice. That doesn't mean that I have to love it. It's his church, right? I mean, come on. We're living in a pluralistic, relativistic society where what's good for you may not be good for me. Just because you love country music doesn't mean I have to love country music. But here's the thing. If you love Jesus, then you're called to love what he loves. If you call yourself a Christian, then you're one of those who is supposed to make it your mission to imitate God. That's what Ephesians told us in Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. It's something children do automatically. I saw it in my first daughter. as She was very young. All of a sudden, she's starting to copy things that I do. And I said, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> In the same way, we're supposed to imitate our everlasting Father. We're called to be just like Jesus. And that means that we've got to love the things that he loves. Look again at Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. How do we do that? Walk in love. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. How do we imitate God? We walk in the love of Christ for others. Jesus' love for the church was so great that not only did he call it his bride, he went so far as to call the church his body. 
when Jesus confronted Saul, Saul was on his way to persecute those who followed the way, the people of the way. They were following Jesus. And on the road to Damascus, he was confronted by a blinding light. And what did God say? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So close is he to his people, the people that he gave life to, that he considers them an extension of himself. The church is Christ's body. So to say that you love the church and not at the same time have a deep, rich, heartfelt love for his body, for his bride, well, something's not right. The two go hand in hand, you see. You can't say that you love Jesus and despise his church. Neither can you say that you have the love of God in you and not love the people that he loves. Either your love is not genuine or you're not loving the right God. Or your understanding of him is far less than it should be. 1 John 3 speaks powerfully to this reality. Verse 10, 1 John 3, 10. By this it is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. He goes on in verse 16. But by this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Verse 23, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Love for Jesus and love for his people, they are inseparably connected. And the way that you show your love for Jesus is by pouring his love into his people, the church Peter had cowardly denied Jesus three times. A rooster crowed. And all of the sudden, a wave of guilt and shame washed over him. We're told that he went out and he wept bitterly. But Jesus wasn't finished with him. On a Galilean shore, after Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, he was preparing breakfast for his disciples. And John 21:15 tells us that when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. 
he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And we read, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Brothers and sisters, we have to love the church. Three times. Jesus makes it clear to Peter that to love him is to lovingly care for his people, to care for the church. Not only did he give up his life to create it, he went out of his way to make it clear that he cared for it and that it be cared for. And one, and finally, perhaps one of the most powerful testimonies to the love of Christ for his church is that he doesn't give up on it. He doesn't give up on it. Jesus doesn't give up on his church. Paul says, I'm sure of this, Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He'll bring it to completion. Have you ever started a project? Maybe it was an art project. Maybe it was a painting. Maybe it was when you were really young and you were trying out your skills. And you were putting those colors up on the board. At first you were excited. What power I have to throw these colors and arrange them in a certain way. But then after a while you look at it and you look back at the thing you were trying to paint. You go, whoa, this isn't looking too good. Colors just don't seem to blend, and it seems like the image is kind of distorted, and you show it to mom, and she goes, that's great, honey. Can you tell me what it is? <laughs> and you eventually get to the point where you pack up the brushes, and you take your piece of art, and you toss it, because you're done. Jesus doesn't do that. Thank God Jesus does not do that. As flawed and as broken, as inept as the church may seem, He loves it with a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever kind of love. He's not giving up on it. Who loves the church? Jesus loves the church. And so do people who love him. If Jesus loves the church, so should we. If he loved it with a deep, heavy, costly love, then we should also. If he loved it with a patient, persistent, persevering and preserving love, then that's the call for us. If he refuses to give up on it, then we can't give up on it either. Do you love it? If you do... How are you showing it? Do you wake up on Sundays dreading the fact that you've got to go to church? Here we go again. Or do you make sure that you're to bed early on Saturday night so that you can be awake and ready to worship the people that Jesus gave his life for? Do you find yourself jealous when other friend, your friends tell you about their church 
what amazing things that got going on over there. The programs, the people, the production. It's amazing. Or are you excited about the opportunities you have to be a part of the body of Christ at your church? Do you wait for people to come talk to you at church? You stand there off to the side and like, well, let's see. I'll give them, uh, I'll give them ten minutes here. Well, I'm trying to think, when was the last time I was invited over to someone's house for dinner? Never? It's not looking too good. Are you waiting for people to come talk to you at church? Or are you looking for chances to go show people the love of Christ through your words and actions? Do you often give up? Miss going to church on Sundays for sports and school and friends, the mall. (laughs) Or would you give up just about anything to be with the people that Jesus gave up everything to be with? Do you avoid certain people who have irritated you or offended you or have hurt you? Or are you imitating Jesus and looking for ways to heal broken relationships? Do you find yourself tempted to give up on church altogether? Or as you get closer to Jesus, do you find yourself falling more in love with the people that he so dearly loves? Who cares about church? Jesus does. And so do the people that love him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for loving us. We look at that, we consider that picture in Ezekiel. We realize who we are and what we have done, how far we had fallen, how despicable we were, how completely lost we were, Lord. And then we realize that you pursued us. Not only did you pursue us, you gave everything for us that we might be brought back that we might be made beautiful, that we might be united together as this local church body to glorify your great name and to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to others. Lord, we are absolutely in awe of your goodness towards us. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. We are so grateful for this people that you have made us a part of. Help us to love it more. And as we do, Lord, may you get all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise forever and ever. Amen.